Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Well, this is extremely special for me tonight. It's significant for, for me personally because it was eight years ago today that I was set in as the senior pastor of this church. It's the day after Christmas in 2010. And uh, I'm just so, it does my heart good that people keep showing up. So anyway, even with all the, the difficulties out there, all the resistance that was out there, it would have been easy to stay home. But thank you for coming tonight. And I'm honored, honored to be here. And I'm honored to pastor this great church. We're going to go to John chapter 3 tonight. And, uh, you know, we've been walking through the, the Gospels for a few weeks and continuing to kind of going through them in a chronological order. And uh, we've come now to John. John kind of is in and out. You know, the, the, most of the synoptic Gospels or the Harmony Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And John kind of comes in there once in a while, but he's, he's kind of doing his own thing. So he, the book of John is not necessarily chronological. And so now we are in the place of John where it fits in the chronology of Christ and his ministry on the earth. And uh, last time we talked about Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Remember when he said, you must be born again? Um, what an amazing encounter and how that he, when, then he gave uh, that example from Moses when he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I uh, talked about what happened there when those poisonous snakes came in to the camp of Israel and were biting people and killing them because they had... Uh, complained against God and against his leadership. And so then the Lord told Moses to put that bronze serpent on a, on a pole, on a stake, and everyone who had been bitten that looked at it were cured of it immediately. And so Jesus, who became sin for us, because God made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us. And Galatians 3 says that Christ became a curse for us. As it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He became that curse, and all who look to him find everlasting life. And then John chapter 3, we're going to jump down to verse 22 tonight. And it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples, this is after his encounter with, with uh, Nicodemus. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Verse 23. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Verse 24, for John had not yet been thrown into prison, speaking of John the Baptist. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, speaking of Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now this has an exclamation point uh, following because they're worried about this. They're concerned about this. Because they see that those, many who had once followed John are now following the one that John testified of. All right? John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And we talked about John the Baptist quite a bit in the very beginning here, about the amazing birth uh, through his mother Elizabeth, who was barren for all those years, and how uh, uh, they had the name John given to them by God, you shall call his name John, and which means the God gives grace. 
And he would be the bridge prophet, what's called the bridge prophet between the Old and the New Testament to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. All right? And he said, I'm, and remember what God, the sign that God had told John that he would see, the sign would be that whoever John saw the Spirit descending on, this was the Christ. And it just so happened to be John's first cousin, Jesus. And he didn't know that. He didn't know Jesus was that coming one until he saw that event take place. Amazing. John, with his physical eyes, saw God opened him up to see the Spirit of God descending on Jesus. And so from that, when he said, this is the one. I remember when Jesus was walking toward him, when John was baptizing at the River Jordan, and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, this is he who I've been sent here to prepare for. Verse 29, but he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. I want to touch on this for just a few minutes. This verse right here, um, it, might, it might surprise you to know, or maybe you've heard me talk about this and you might not be surprised, to know that this verse has been terribly taken out of context and uh, taught that we need to humble ourselves and have this same attitude that John did. This is what we must all declare. Jesus increase, I decrease. That sounds good, but that's not our declaration. Way too quiet in here right now. That's not our declaration. That was John's declaration, but it's not ours. There's, there is a huge misunderstanding and misrepresentation of this verse. See, here's what John knows. John knows his ministry is temporary. What's his, what's his ministry? Preparation. That's it. He's to prepare the way of the Lord. That's as far as his calling goes. All right? Prepare the way of the Lord and make his pastorate. So when Jesus shows up and John sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. He sees the Spirit descending on him. And then he also declared that, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So he has prepared the way. Jesus has shown up. Guess what John's ministry is coming to a halt now. It's over. He did what he was supposed to do. That's why he's saying he must increase. And he's talking about in the way of ministry in the earth. Now, I want to give you my personal opinion here. And you can take it or leave it. doesn't matter to me because it's not necessarily inspired. All right? But I have studied the Bible quite a bit. And um, after reading John the Baptist's story, I started asking a question. Just, you know, uh, the man who, well, John Holler was one who taught me most of everything I know. But a man by the name of John Garlock who taught homiletics at Christ for the Nations and, and how to prepare sermons and things like that. As a matter of fact, I teach his homiletics course um, at the school. But he said, you need to ask the questions. When you're reading and you've got questions, ask those questions. Who, what, when, where, uh, has this happened before? Is this the first time this is said? Has this been said any other place? And you'll get, to, get you to know what's really being said and what's being done here. My, I believe that once he saw God descending on Jesus and declared, Behold the Lamb of God, my personal opinion is, or my question is, why isn't John now just following Jesus? 
when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, boys, that's it. Let's go follow him now. I don't understand why he didn't do it. I don't understand that he continued to baptize people and he continued to go on this route, that's this ministry that should be over. And I think this led to some trouble in John's life. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty positive it did. He was thrown in prison. And while he was there, he started asking questions. You remember? He's sitting there in prison. His ministry's over. Jesus is, he's hearing these reports about him going and eating dinner with sinners, God forbid. Drinking wine. Making more wine if they run out. John didn't do any of that. John ate locusts and honey and dwelt out in the wilderness. I mean, this guy was hardcore. And Jesus didn't come like John came. And the way John described him is that, that the axe is laid to the root of the tree and he's going to thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor. But Jesus comes and all John knows it seems to just be going to a bunch of dinner parties. And so I think John started questioning. I'm quite sure because he did have the disciples go ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we look for another? Come on, John. Man, you saw the Spirit descending on him. Nobody else can claim that they saw with their own eyes the Spirit of God. How in the world are you backpedaling like this? Because he didn't come like I thought he would. I had a thought of how he was supposed to come. And Jesus, and when this, this, these disciples came to Jesus and asked that question, John, remember what Jesus said. You tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead live again, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And I think that John got offended because he didn't end his ministry at the right time. I think it brought all kinds of questions, all kinds of issues. Even later on, we see John's disciples having trouble with what Jesus' disciples were doing. You remember in Acts chapter 19 when Paul had come to Ephesus, even later in Paul's ministry, Paul had come to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. It says he got there, he asked these disciples, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, we've never heard whether there was a Holy Spirit. He says, well, whose baptism were you baptizing? They said, John's. It's still going. Why is this thing still going on? This thing should have been locked up when Jesus showed up. So there was some trouble that that follow that ensued as a result of that. Like I said, this is just my opinion. I think it's a pretty good opinion. And John saying, he must increase, but I must decrease, he was simply acknowledging that the end of his ministry had come. And the reason that we, let me, let me now take you back to this, the beginning of this thought, the reason that we don't make this our declaration, my family, is because your reality and John's reality are not the same reality. See, he had what... He had the spirit that would come up on him, but you have the spirit who dwells in you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that now that you are in him. So if Jesus increases, then what do you do? Then you increase. You are one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So when Jesus increases, we all increase. I mean, he brought us up to the very same place that he sits and he seated us with him in heavenly places. That's about as increased as you can get. But see, religion and false humility comes in and it just makes it sound like that's something that we should say. He must increase and I must decrease. 
See, that tells me something about a believer that says that. First of all, that tells me they don't know who they are. I'm going to say that again. That tells me they don't really know who they are. Because they're identifying with them as the one right here, the flesh. But that is not who you are. Who you are is housed in this flesh. Ah, you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in this body. Yeah, the works of the flesh, the, the, the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, they absolutely need to decrease. But not you. As a matter of fact, you actually need to increase. Your born-again spirit needs to increase in its influence. Amen. In, 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 in influence in this body to live the holy life that God's called us to live. So don't buy into that religious garb, that false humility. When Jesus increases, you increase. Why don't you just say that? When Jesus increases, I increase. All right, you need a little more scriptural evidence? Okay, I, I thought so. Let's go to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, and let's see what he has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. See, we don't regard ourselves now as separate from Jesus. Amen. If we do, then, then we, we, we don't really identify with who we really are. And lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations. How many of you know Paul had some revelation? I mean, the Gentile church, we would not even be here if it had not been for the revelation that Jesus gave Paul. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, watch, a messenger of who? So is this, you see who the messenger is? Do you see who is trying to keep Paul from being exalted above measure? Who is it? Satan, not God, Satan was sent to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So who's trying to stop the man of God? God, I'm going to humble you. I'm going to keep you from being prideful. I've heard this preached this way. I go, where do you see that in the verse? This is a messenger of Satan that's trying to stop the man of God from increasing. To minimize, to shut down what he was here to do. Unless I should be exalted above measure, a message of Satan, messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, given to me. Wow. See, when you know who you are, then you won't be fighting against you like everything else is. Like the flesh, like the devil and the world. Isn't that right? These three things are we're in resistance to all the time. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So when you know who you are and declare who you are, we need to see increase. All right, let's, if you're not convinced there, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. What's God wanting to do for you? He's wanting to increase you. He's wanting to exalt you. Oh, man, this goes against our religious thinking, though, doesn't it? It goes against so much of what we're taught in the earth, in the churches today. They're teaching that we're some bumbling sinners out here. Somehow, grace found us, but... You know, we're just old sinners saved by grace. And that's as good as the reality gets. No, no, no. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are gone. New things have come. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, that sounds ominous to me. You know, the first time I remember reading that, I remember picturing myself like, ah, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see the reason for being humble? So that he can exalt you. 
so that you can never boast that you're the one who did this, but your testimony is clearly and always, God did this for me. God has done this. Look what God has done in my life. Look what he's done. Well, I want to give you the Greek word for exalt here. This is so good. It's hypsuo, H-Y-P-S-O-O, hypsuo, and it means to lift on high, to exalt. This is the part of the definition that made me almost scream when I was studying this. To raise to the very summit of opulence and prosperity. Wow. This is what God wants to do for us. To raise you to the very summit, and if you have a Strong's Concordance, you'll find that definition right there in it. To raise you to the very summit of opulence and prosperity. To exalt, to raise to dignity, honor, and happiness. This is God's heart for all of us. But we've got to humble ourselves. Well, what does that mean to humble ourselves? It means to believe Him. That's what it means. It just means to take God at His word. To believe what He says. The next verse really tells us, casting all your care upon Him. This is the, this is the humiliating process. Casting all your care. Why? Because He cares for you. Don't you love that? The word cares here, one of the main definitions of it is anxieties and fears. Casting all of them on Him. This is how you humble yourself. You say, I can't do this in my own strength. I'm not going to do this in my own ability and by my own resources. I'm giving this to God. Lord, you said in your word, you would provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. So I humble myself under your opinion. I humble myself under your word. You said I am healed. So I humble yourself under your word, even though I'm experiencing sickness, I'm experiencing difficulties in this body, yet I refuse to exalt that in my life. I choose to humble myself under your hand, your healing hand, your providing hand, your helping hand, your blessing hand, your hand of favor. This is what it means to be humble before God, to simply believe his word, to pray, to acknowledge him in all your ways, and to say what he says. Is that simple enough? Is this too simple to live this life? Sometimes. Sounds simple in church, <laughs> right? But out there, when you get in it, the practice of it is the other thing. But God is patient with us. It just, it's to humble yourself is to believe God above everything else. Amen. All right, look at verse 31 of John chapter 3. I remember we're still in John. He who comes from above is above all. This is John speaking to his disciples. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. I love what John says right here. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now, I want you to understand this. What God has given Jesus, he's also given you. Because you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that's what I'm saying. John wasn't in that reality here. He didn't have what you have. He didn't have that new covenant reality that you have, that ever-present spirit abiding on the inside of you, where you, are, you, you, you have come up so much higher. Your, your, um, your station with God, if you will, your position with God is so much higher than a disciple. You are sons! You're not employees for God. You're not slaves. You're sons of God. 
This is beautiful. What this means is that whatever God has, you have. Whatever Jesus, your elder brother, has, you have. You know, then Romans teaches that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Amen. Since he gave us Jesus, he's not going to hold anything back from us. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.